it was really hard to push my voice and be like, hey, no, I'm actually here because I'm the I'm a female and I'm testing these routes for the females, but and but then your opinion gets lost. They're a lot better climber with their condition than than what I am trying to pretend to climb like that. So I'm like I always give them the benefit of the doubt. I think I started climbing about six or seven weeks after having Remy. Welcome to another episode of the That's Not Real Climbing podcast. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm excited to introduce my guest for today, Carly LeBreton. Carly is the first female chief setter at an IFSC World Championship, where she led a team of five to set the World Paraclimbing Championships in Bern 2023. She's been climbing for over 20 years and setting for almost just as long, so she has a lot of experience. In this episode, we'll learn about all the things you have to keep in mind when setting world championship routes for paraclimbers, what it's like in the route setting scene as a female setter, and what it's like owning a climbing gym, which I am super jealous of. Hope you enjoy this episode with Carly. Yeah, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. My um, my son was up all night vomiting. Oh my god! Yeah, like so about yesterday still. Yeah, so it's like seven a.m. here, and um, at about midnight it started. And I'm just like, oh, not tonight. <laughs> I have to be up early. But that's okay. He's he's chilling out on the lounge. He's doing a little better now? A little bit, yeah. Still a bit warm. Okay. But okay. yeah, just a bug, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you need to like take a break and do anything, um, oh, no. feel free my to husband, just let me know. My husband Rob's out there. He's He's pretty good. Okay, sounds good. And I mean, I guess are you still planning on going out to climb today then? I don't know. We haven't had much sleep, so <laughs> we'll see how we go. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be um, around 40 degrees today, um, which I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's really Oh, hot. yeah, in Celsius. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I like 40. wasn't sure I had to think about it for a bit. Yeah. yeah. I've actually, yeah, I've actually never been to the Southern Hemisphere, I think. So whenever I have to think about like the seasons being different, it really, really messes with me. Yeah, yeah. It'd be nice to be in winter. I I really hate summer. Yeah, I guess it gets pretty extreme there. I've never been, so I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. The last couple of summers, it's been quite wet. Um, So we haven't had like a full summer of like 40 degrees. Um, But this summer um, has been a lot warmer. Than, than normal yeah well yeah i hope you do get a chance to go out but yeah i guess yeah i don't know what'll happen with with your son how old is your son by the way he's nine so he went back to school after the summer break like two days ago so it could have been you know that all the kids coming back together again and <laughs> yeah that's around the age i remember i was like a really sick kid i would constantly just like be getting illnesses i would be like stomach flu all the time that was like a regular occurrence for me oh no that's horrible yeah it's just kids you know <laughs> oh yeah they bring home everything yeah hopefully you don't catch anything i'm a bit scared if i start to feel like oh <sighs> yeah that's the worst oh well it's okay we can 
get into motherhood a bit later. <laughs> I <just laughs> did want to ask a bit about that because, yeah, that's like a totally different experience. Um, but yeah, getting right into it, um, when and how did you get into climbing and setting? I started in um, 1995, so almost 20 years ago, 25 years ago, um, just through school. So we, we used to pick like a sport each week and I went to the local climbing gym, which had only been open for like a year. So climbing gyms were quite new. Um, and then, yeah, so I picked climbing and then that was it for the rest of my school. I just climbed. Um, you just like immediately knew? Yep. I was hooked. And uh, I think maybe about six months later, I, st- I got a job there washing holds. So, and so that was my second home for like my whole school year, years. And then, uh, it was probably not long after I, the, the owner was just like, Hey, you want to try setting a route? And, you know, I was putting up like roots really early, maybe a couple of years in, um, I got to wash all the holds. So you get familiar with with washing them when you know we were washing them by hand um with a brush oh you didn't have like the uh the power washers no no we had a big sink of hot water boiling hot water scrubbing them with a toothbrush or a brush <laughs> and um you know like I thought it was great I I got to buy my first climbing shoes my harness like a rope it was yeah you know, it was a great a great start into my climbing career. Yeah, so you've been setting for a long time then too. Yeah, commercially setting like a long, long time. And then I started comp setting probably, it was around 2005. So that's still a while as well. So did you have to take like courses? I don't know how it works in Australia, but uh, here there are like some courses that you... That no, you can take to get certified. No. And we still don't really have that either. Like um, at the moment, you kind of just set for like a, a state level competition and you'll get assessed by the, the head setter and then you'll set at a nationals and you'll get assessed by the national head setter. Um, and then you're like, you're accredited. Gotcha. So you just kind of get like recommended to set for these things? Yeah, you you apply and then the the setting committee selects you based on your um, experience and that, you know, it's a small community here so we pretty well know everyone that sets it around all the different gyms. Um, yeah, so so back, back early on there wasn't many setters at all. So it was like I was competing a lot so then I was just like, oh, hey, I might set, start setting for these events. And, you know, I was probably the only female at the time setting. And so you also kind of um, were doing competitions. Were you doing it at like a national level or like an IFSC level? Um, I was competing from like since I started climbing. So as a young age, as a junior, there wasn't many juniors here in Australia at around the late 90s so I was competing as an open um, and I won my first 
nationals in 97. And then I, I, I won like every year for quite a few years in a row. So I was national champion. And then I went to the States and did a bunch of like touchstone international juniors. And that was like 98, 98, 99 and 2000, I think. I didn't know they had that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of countries came to it. I remember competing against South Africa, um, a couple of European countries. They don't still do that, do they? I don't think I've seen. No, no. I think it was only for like a couple of years in a row. But I, I won my age category in 99. So that was like 18, 19 years. Yeah, so I competed nationally, internationally for a while. I did a whole bunch of um, X Games in Malaysia and Thailand. And I, I didn't get to any like World Cups. And then in terms of... Um... Back to like setting, how did you specifically get into setting for paraclimbers? Uh, I think it was um, around 2015, we had some climbers, some paraclimbers that were keen to start um, competing and we we had didn't have the category for it. So it was just like, yeah, let's let's start and we'll set a couple of routes and, and we'll go from there. So I think it was Nationals 15 that we had maybe two two competitors. It was in Queensland. And then from then on, we kind of got a few extra climbers in each each state and each nationals. Um, and up to the point where I think, you know, this this state titles that we're about to have in, in Sydney, we've got maybe 10 competitors, which is our highest competitors. Yeah, did you have to do any um, like extra clinics or courses in order to start setting for paraclimbers? No, no. Well, you know, we don't have any setting classes anyway, so um, it was just a matter of like chatting to the competitors. Um, I I climbed with a couple of them just to see how they moved and what to expect, and and then it was a matter of just setting and. And going from there, and you know, with I think with the with my background of um, and experience, you know, we we did a pretty good job of you know it, it helped climbing with them very much. And I think uh, at the IFSC level, during my last interview um, with Anita and Christian, um, I think I learned that there's like a handbook on setting for paraclimbers um, for IFSC. Yeah. Um, so can you go over what's in there and some of the things that you have to keep in mind for each sports class? Yeah. So the handbook kind of talks about, um, the different categories and the different grades that we're setting. And then it talks about like different angles and like what, what categories shouldn't be on, like, you know, say we use the speed wall a lot. So we've got certain categories that don't like that um then there's categories that don't like super steep um so you've got to be mindful of like volumes that you know maybe some of the um al categories and rp categories they don't have that range of movement to go around big 
bulky volumes. Um, some of the categories don't like in the World Cups. You know, we're always always sitting on like a super steep wall, so it's a, the big lead wall, which is really steep and it's quite challenging to get some of those categories up and in, into the route. Which are the classes that don't like the steep wall? Because I thought with um, like amputee categories, that would probably be preferred since a lot of them are often like campusing. Yep, yep. So the AEL categories generally like the steep and um, the, but I think it's different whoever you talk to they have their preferences but um like an rp category so range of movement um rp1 they find the steep quite tricky because they're they're not they can't move their legs up as high so what in the steep you know their bodies become out um and then they find it really challenging also you gotta watch out for like the, the holds that you're using so anything that's like quite rounded on a steep um terrain is, is quite hard you can't get that like pulling power yeah do you find that there's like one sports class that is hardest for you to set um i, I reckon i find um the au category so upper amputee um, so anyone that's um, their their reach would be a bit different because they're they're either going with their their full arm or their half arms, um, and then they're holding holds quite with their stump. They're holding quite holds different to what we would hold them. So when we're when we're testing, we're like oh you know trying to hold it with our our palm or and we're like. But then I'm all, I'm always thinking that they're they're a lot better climber with their condition than than what I am trying to climb pretend to climb like that. So I'm like I always give them the benefit of the doubt and think, yep, they're strong, they can do this. But the big one for that is reach. Yeah, definitely. And that uh, I think that reminds me of one of the Discord questions that came through, which was um, when setting for paraclimbers. Um, is the fact that disabilities are often asymmetrical a consideration. So like if it's like a left or right arm and then they have like a stump on one and the other they have full reach. So then how does it kind of work there? Yeah, so we, we test for both left and right and make sure that there's it's fair throughout the whole route. Um, we might think, okay, this move's a little bit tricky for right um, empathy, but then the next move's actually not too bad for left or or lower down and then kind of always adding like a little intermediate or if it's if it's lower amputee we're adding like another little foot jib or just to make it fair on both sides do you kind of like keep track of the number of like oh this is easier for right and this is easier for left or is it just more of like a a vibe yeah it's more vibe and and like always chatting with the other setters and opinions across the board matter. Are there any, um, I guess, like para, like setters who are also paraclimbers? Um, there's, I think there is a couple in this in the states that are starting to set more, um, but internationally not yet. 
And that would be really cool to have a, a para climbing on the setting team. Yeah, great to have like another pair of eyes on what may or may not work as well. Yeah, and just how it, it feels to them. It feels a lot different to us. Yeah, there's like not really a way of knowing, I guess. Well, yeah. you know, I follow a lot of the climbers on Instagram and, you know, you can watch them climb and, and on different climbs and see that. So you have a pretty good idea. Yeah. And so another part of it is that at the World Cups, you can only set a certain number of routes and there's a whole bunch of different classifications. So how do you kind of go about setting where um, different classifications have to climb the same route? Yeah, it gets super tricky having like a whole bunch of classes on one on one route. And, it, and it's something that, you know, was been looking at the the international routine paraclimbing committee um trying to get more routes or you know change up the timetable so we can allow them to split the categories but yeah it's it's really tricky having like an au category competing against um an al category you know but so the, there always tends to be like one route that has a whole bunch of categories on it and you, and you kind of know that it's not going to be ideal for one of those, but it's it's a sacrifice that we have to do. You know, you just got to you got to keep testing and testing and testing, and and hopefully it works. So, is it always the same categories that get merged onto the same route? It tends to be, yeah, just the way the 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 format and the timetable is. Um, we only have, you know, one day for qualifications and one day for finals. So you have to, you know, and the every year it's getting bigger. So that, yeah, the timetable is just kind of pushing out in one day. You have so many competitors doing this, you know, one route that has to be used for a lot of the categories. How do you think your setting would change if you were just like, given the ability to set a different route for each sports class? Oh, it would give us heaps more freedom to be able to set for that class properly. Yeah. Um, I think they're changing it up this this year and they are kind of splitting it to qualifications and finals in one day for, for different classes. So you'll have a certain number of classes on this day and a certain number of classes on that day. So maybe overnight you get a chance to tweak that route and make it a little bit fairer for that class. I think it's going to take some time to think about how it's going to work and and we can go from there. Yeah. I guess for like each class, what would kind of change? Like can you visualize... Um, how you would tweak it to make it maybe like the perfect route for like a blind climber or like an amputee climber or an RP climber? Um, no, I don't. I don't think there's the perfect route for them because climbing, you know, it's so different every time you set, and you don't go set with what you've got—the holds and the wall and the volume. Um, I find it's best just to set as you would, you know, normally, you know, you, you want to show the best product on the wall and then 
you kind of test for that class. So you just set a normal route and be like, this this looks cool, this works, you know, it looks like a good climb. And then you test and just tweak little things as you go. And so are you testing like with various, um, I know you mentioned earlier you would like sometimes try to test without using your palm or something like that. Um, do you forerun the routes with various, um, I guess, handicaps? Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely throughout the, the three to five setters, how many we've got, we'll, um, we'll each take a class. So we might be like, okay, you set, you test with left empty, right empty, a lower, and then we go from there. And even hanging on the rope, we might just switch switch sides just to test the crocs or something like that. Yeah. So I guess you've also tried like climbing with a blindfold on or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with blind, we don't test it generally like with our eyes closed because we know we know their ability and we know how they climb. Um, the The blind climbers tend to be really really strong, so because they're locking off and they're they're kind of reaching and feeling um, at, at the same time. So we kind of figure that there's lots of like static movement. Um, so we try not to have massive dinos or big dead points or. Yeah. I mean, have there ever are there ever dinos for the blind category? That sounds a little bit No. No, no. There's sometimes okay. like maybe like a little bit higher dead point or hold, but I would yeah, we don't wouldn't put a, a dino or like a paddle or something like that in there. Yeah. That would be crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But they are pretty adventurous. Like, I'm sure if we tested them with something like that, they'd be up for it. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. Um, have you ever, like, set a move for paraclimbing that just, like, did not work out at all the way that you wanted it to or expected it to? I, I, can't, I was trying to think of something to answer that question, but I couldn't quite think um, in terms of moves, in terms of, like, hold types that we've used yes there's there's always maybe an incident where you're like oh that hold just wasn't the best for that category I, I think the world cup the world championships in Bern there was um a final on the massive steep uh wall for the RP1 categories so their range of movement um they they found it really hard on the start because they were these massive big macros and they were really slopey. And so there was kind of nothing for them to like pull with. They were like really open-handed. So, but they were the holes that we had to use in terms of sponsors. And so it was kind of like we had to make do with what we had, but it wasn't ideal. Yeah, I'll have to look yeah. back at that, see if I can find it and link it for people to see. Yeah, there were massive um, blocks. I think there were macros and they were beautiful holes, but they just weren't for that category. Did you already know before they started climbing on it that it would be an issue or you didn't realize until after you saw them? Yeah, we thought, okay, this is we've done the best we can with this. You know, it's 
it's going to, it should work. But then afterwards, you know, we had a few people falling off quite low. Um, and we're like, yeah, maybe, maybe we could have done something. Yeah. I, we, we did them. So we, we screwed like quite big holes onto them to try and help that. But we just didn't have the, the ideal hold that we wanted to screw on there. Yeah, because I guess you have just like requirements from the IFSC and what kind of holds you're allowed to use. And yeah, and for and for burn, there were certain sponsorships that they had that supplied all the holds, um, and they did a really good job. Like we had an amazing, amazing set of holds to choose from. Um, it it was a really fun event coming in and seeing all these holds up on the grandstand and we're just like oh wow this is really cool yeah did you get any I guess complaints from the athletes on that setting where it was just too difficult yeah uh, we did have a few people come over and just let us know and I think that's perfectly fine to have the feedback and you know we're always learning what we can do better next time and what worked and what didn't. So I think feedback is great. And um, I guess, do you have a suggestion on how people can get into setting for paraclimbers specifically? Uh, uh, probably the best thing to do is just contact like the lo- local um, paraclimbing committee uh, groups and to see if people are setting for them and get into like your regionals, your uh, state level and then the national competitions. Um, Yeah, chat to the paraclimbers. They're always happy to have a chat and tell you what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. There's not many people setting for para, so... Um, it's always good to have more people. Yeah, and I think it's like growing as well, especially if it ends up making it into the Paralympics. I think that'd be really great. Oh, yeah, that'd be exciting. Do you think you would be able to set for that if that um, ended up happening in 2028? Oh, I would love to. It'd be amazing to be able to set at the Olympics. Um, but there's quite a few of us on the international uh, team. So it would just be a matter of... Um, who gets selected to go and who's the best people be cool. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Bern was really cool as well. Um, I think I saw that Bern marked like you being the first female chief route setter at a world championship. For world championships, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats on that. Thank you. Um, and so back in the day when you first started setting, it was like, quite early it was quite a long time ago there were like even fewer women in climbing and setting um so how was it like trying to break into route setting back then and I guess how does it compare to now yeah I I think I was super lucky to break into the to setting because there wasn't many people actually setting for comps because you know most people were trying to compete um, so it was a matter of like, hey, we need actually we need setters to be able to set for this comp. Like, who can set? Um, and as as most incidents, I was the only female for a while setting like these uh, lead comps. 
and then as it got more popular, there's, there was more setters coming along. And again, a lot of the time I was the only female. Um, as bouldering got more popular, there was a couple more females setting. But I, I think I was lucky to be around in that era when there was a desperate need for setters. <laughs> so I, I kind of just fell into it. And my husband and I ran the association for a while as well. So we were actually running the comps um, as well as like a national, at a national level. So you said a lot of people wanted to just like compete instead of setting. So do you feel like you kind of gave up the competing route so that you could take on the route setting journey? Yeah, I did have to make a decision about whether I wanted to keep competing or setting. Um, I really enjoyed the setting and I, I felt like I was, you know, good at it and I was experienced. Um, and I knew that I had to kind of do it so there was a female testing. There was always a problem with, like I remember from back in the day, there was no female setter, so there was no one testing those moves that the, the girls were on. Um, so I, I felt like it was my duty to be a setter and be like, okay, I can, I can do these moves and test these moves at a high level. I should jump in and do this so the roots are, are great and fair and it's not always a like a dude's moves and you know stopper moves or whatever you know please excuse this brief intermission but i would just like to remind you that if you are enjoying this podcast please follow and rate it on your preferred listening platform if you're watching on youtube i would love to hear your discussion and thoughts in the comments below anything helps to push this podcast out to more people and get even more amazing guests on back to the show and how do you feel like it compares to trying to become a route setter now as a woman like do you think it's it's easier like have we made enough progress or is there still a lot more that needs to be done yeah I, I think we have made a lot of progress we have a lot more um space for learning in terms of you know female or women setters um it, like when people apply for competitions i know in australia we have you know, a lot more females applying. It's not it's not fifty fifty, but um, it's definitely it's definitely getting up there, and and the the space is quite welcoming in terms of setting dynamics with with the guys. Um, uh, when I when I was when it got more popular, and I was setting with, uh, I was the you know token female on the team. It was really hard to push my voice and be like, "Hey, no, I'm actually here because I'm the I'm a female and I'm testing these roots for the females." But and but then your opinion gets lost a lot of the time. Uh, but but I think things are are really different these days. We have some really good males on the team that are quite open and and we have the space to learn as well. Yeah, that's good to hear. And earlier you had mentioned um, like testing it out so there wouldn't be like 
stop our moves on like the women's routes. Um, I guess, how would you characterize setting for men's climbing versus women's climbing? Cause as like a non-setter, I really have no idea what's like, yeah, what feels different in that way. Yeah. I think reach is probably the most common mistake. Um, so having, I'm like a five, one climber, so I'm quite short. Yeah. Uh, so then I'll, I'll test like every, every route, um, for the females or even for the, like I said, already youth comps as well. Um, so I'm at a good height where some of the kids are actually are way taller than me. Um, yeah, but I think that's super important for a female route, I think, is is reach. Um, we have a huge, like I know in Australia, there's like a huge range of um, reach in the female uh, category. It was super important to make sure it's not, it's fair. Anything else to do with like box size or like flexibility, or does that come into play much? Um, not not generally. Like climbers would do what they're best at, of course, and everyone is different. And it'd be like, oh, I didn't realize the move could be done like that. That's interesting. But yeah, uh, I don't I don't think yeah. I think reach is probably the best one. Do you think more female setters at the IFSC would make a, di- a big difference? Definitely always in any incidents for sure. But um, I think the IFSC are definitely looking to change that up. And there's some diversity program that they have happening at the moment. Um, and they, I know there's been a couple of events where there hasn't been a female on the team. And I don't know if that's due to no one was available or they just had had no one. But they, I think, I think they're trying to make sure that there's a, a female on each team, or if not one, there's a, a couple. Um, there's not many that are setting. Uh, I know in Boulder there's quite a few more females setting, but not for league, only a few. And again, those those female women they want to be competing as well yeah there's a couple of women on the lead teams that actually compete still like they compete uh, and set no no like they okay. want they want to compete and do the world cups themselves so they'll do like a couple of years setting and then a couple of years competing oh okay but uh i think that's changing with having uh a few more females that can set right yeah yeah there was like um like someone on the french team i think yeah uh hannah she she was setting for quite a few years and now she's gone back to competing oh um what's the last name again hannah uh i can't remember sorry mm, okay you all have to look into that um yeah did you do any um IFSC setting not for paraclimbing? No, I, I haven't as yet. I uh, um, applied to set leave this year, um, but the IFSC haven't put out any of their setters yet. But hopefully it's soon and we find out, yeah. 
yeah, hopefully you make it in. Um, did you apply like previous years as well and you just weren't selected? No, this is the first year I've applied for a non-para place, yeah. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, what Do you have like a favorite kind of move that you like to set or like a certain style that feel you feel like is unique to you? Uh, I think, no, I generally like setting lead routes more because that's, I guess, preferably what I like climbing. Um, I like to set like super sustained routes. So there's nothing hard, but it just slowly, slowly, slowly builds. And by the top, you're just like super box pumped and you're, you're like just holding on. I think that's kind of classically my type of route that I'll set. Just super pumpy. <laughs> Oh, sounds awful. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> uh, I only I only boulder for right now, so yeah, that sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing better than helping us climb, and like your forearms are like blowing up, and you're just like, yeah, that was awesome. I was pumped. <laughs> I get like pretty freaked out once I start to feel the pump. It like triggers this thing inside my brain that's just like panic mode. All oh, right, yeah. You gotta try and do a few more circuits. Yeah, get probably. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, as you were talking about earlier, um, you are also a mother, and I am kind of curious how that has impacted, um, I guess, your climbing and setting career. Yeah, well, when Remy was born, I kind of had a few years off setting just uh, because it was mayhem, of course. Um, yeah, but you kind of learn as as the time goes on and you're like, okay, I've got to rethink how I train, rethink how I'm going to work. Um, you end up doing like really short sessions, but, you know, maybe more of them just because of the time. Uh and I think my climbing has actually improved because I know my time is valuable and I've just got to like, okay, I've got one hour, got to get in, do my session and and get it done. Yeah, so I've actually become a better climber. I'm a stronger climber now than I was before having Remy. Yeah, uh, I've just learned, I've learned a lot. Yeah, I think... The thought of doing that has always like terrified me. So I kind of feel this rush that I need to get as like strong as possible as early as as possible because it's like all just gonna disappear. Soon. Yeah. So that's that's nice to hear. Yeah, I think you just got to be really dedicated to it, and you know it's hard work. It's hard got being like, oh man, I've got to like. I still got to train today, or uh, I'm not. I'm not going to train today. But then, if you've just got that willpower to be like, no, I can get it done. I'll, you know, I'll feel much better if I can get an hour session in, um, and then everyone is happy. If you're happy, yeah. Did you do any like climbing or training while pregnant? Because I've I've seen some people do it, and it looks a little terrifying. But I have seen it happen. Yeah, I had a lot of 
complications with a couple of pregnancies. So mm. that last kind of pregnancy with Remy, I was just like, no, nah, I'm not going to do anything. I was recommended to just rest. Um, yeah. So I just did that. So I didn't climb for, yeah, nine to ten months. Um, I, I think I started climbing about six or seven weeks after having Remy. It's pretty fast. Yeah. I had a cesarean as well, so I just like had to take it. So for a couple of months, I just climbed super easy, enjoyed being at the gym, doing a few laps and yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, wait, I think I, I thought I heard that. I've heard a lot of like horror stories about like pregnancy in general. So maybe that's where my like concerns come yeah, from. Yes, yeah. But yeah, but I heard that if you have a C section, then it like cuts through all of your muscles as well. And so you can't even like use your core. I've yeah. heard like people can't even like pick up their babies or like hold their babies because their core is too weak. Yeah, it depends on the incident for sure. Um, you do lose core. Uh, I found like coming back, the core was like the last thing to like engage. Yeah. Like even just climbing and like lifting your foot up to the next hole was hard work. Yeah. But I just did lots of super easy climbing and enjoyed it and it came back. Um, yeah. But I reckon it would be one of my weaknesses still now be cool yeah but i mean you were still able to start climbing six weeks after yeah yeah just just hmm. you had to right. be like okay i can't do anything hard just gotta go easy and if you if you're kind of willing to do that then the process is quite quite good how long do you feel like it took you to get back into pre-pregnancy shape uh i reckon a year yeah, because you, the your baby's really little, and you know you may not get climbing one week, <laughs> or you know things happen, and so I think probably the inconsistency of climbing that first year is probably the major factor to getting back into it. Yeah, I mean, actually, a year's not bad at all. I kind of. I mean, clearly I've had a very, <laughs> I've heard a lot of nightmare stories. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and having a supportive partner is probably the, the next major thing that you, helps you get back into your climbing, sharing sharing the load and having having support around helps. Yeah, having a plan. Yeah, a little bit less scared than... Yeah, you'll be right. <laughs> Yeah, so moving on, you had also mentioned to me that you own a gym, um, which I'm super jealous of because that's something that I always like was really something that I like dreamed of a couple years back. And then I took a look into the finances of it all and I'm like, I don't have the money for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you don't mind, I would love to like live through you and learn about what that's like to own a gym. Yeah, yeah, tell me a bit about it. Uh, I've yeah, worked in a climbing gym basically my whole life. So I've grew, grown up in a in a gym. Uh, I got the opportunity to manage uh, Villa Wood from the start. Uh, so I was managing the, the gym for like about five years when 
me and my husband were like, oh, you know, maybe we should look into um, opening a new gym. It was kind of the start of the phase of a lot of bouldering gyms popping up, or a couple had. Um, and then it was like the owners of, of Villawood were like, well, why don't you just buy in and get some shares in, in here? Like you're running the place, you know how it works. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, we bought like bought into like half, half the gym and that's been it ever since. I think, uh, we've owned it for six years now. We're, we're going on to. 13 years being open. So I've been there a while now. <laughs> and since you also set for like world champs and big national level competitions, do you also tend to set more comp style stuff in your gym? Uh, yeah. So we, we host a lot of national and state events at Villawood. So we try, so we have the lead walls to set comp style routes. And a lot of the Sydney climbers know that if you go to Villaward, you're going to get like X, Y, and Z on these walls. You're going to get some hard comp routes to train on. So with my set team, we we set comp hard hard lead routes all the time. But then we also have to think about the general public. So we set um, a lot of commercial style routes as well. Yeah, it's, um, I think, hard to get the right balance. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but um, as far as I've seen in the U.S., lots of gyms around me, people will complain about there being too much comp style in the gyms. Okay. Um, yeah, is that like a similar experience in Australia? Uh, I think it would be the, the opposite, actually. There's, oh. yeah, not enough gyms are setting um, like harder comp style routes yeah um they're definitely marketed towards the beginner kind of commercial set um there would be a few gyms that definitely have um set a few comp style routes or and the difficulty has to be hard as well you know it has to be a certain level for the top guys to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to this gym because I know I'm going to get this to train on. Um, but yeah, I think the gyms need to, you know, I think the harder you set, the harder your climbers are going to move up the ladder and there's going to be more people at that elite level. I guess there's a difference between um, like hard sets, not comp style versus comp style. I think yeah. here people want to see like, I don't know, just like hard pulling or like really small holds or something like that rather than yeah. like tricky comp style climbs. But yeah, there's like always a lot of uproar about that here. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of difference between setting hard and setting comp style hard for sure. Um, and with the a lot of bolder gyms around that there is a lot more comp style problems being set um and then and some people just want boulders you can train on and get strong on so it's yeah it's a fine line uh we have a lot of boulder gyms in sydney so we tend to set more of that hard style training focus at villawood um because i know it's different and people come to to train 
strength, basically, at Villa Wood. And then we have our big lead walls that we have all these kind of hard, hard climbs to train on. You know, you can be doing laps or on-site practice or, yeah. Do you also do, like, any setting for, like, paraclimbers in the area? Uh, We do a few different workshops for them um, where we'll focus on setting for a different couple of different classes if we know there's a couple of climbers around. Um, And they'll generally just get in contact with, with me and be like, hey, I'm coming up for a weekend uh, yeah, but I've done it. I've done it in the past where I've set a, a wall for different classes. Yeah, it's hard to do all the time. Um, and, and generally, like uh, paraclimbers will just jump on like normal able-bodied climbers routes and just give it a go because it's it's it'll be weaknesses that they need to train. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess like when they go outside and climb, that's it's not really set specifically with them in mind either. So no, you have to you have to work out a way to do it with with your disability. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Okay, very cool. I hope one day I can figure out how to get into the gym scene <laughs> on my own gym. Have some kind of vision. Yeah, yeah. Get a few people involved. Yeah. It's always easy. Yeah, I would love to have like a a very comp focused gym i've seen one of the gyms um in i think like hawaii has a they set like a different i guess showcase comp style boulder every week or so and i think something like that would be really cool yeah i think a few gyms do that for sure they'll be like they'll have their like king line for the day for the week where that one wall has just this one beautiful looking boulder and then it might get filled in later Mm, right yeah do you guys do that or no yeah we tend to do that as well yeah and it gives the setters a day to have a play and kind of play with those different style boulder problems or or lead routes we do the same Cool. Um, so I think now's a good time. We can just get into some of the Discord questions. Um, these are ones submitted by people um, in the community who had questions for you. And um, it's just kind of like a grab bag of all of your experience. So the first one, have you ever felt like people have a conscious or unconscious bias against you or doubt your skills because you're like a female setter? Yeah, what needs to happen to get more women setting at the top level? Um, yeah, I think always it plays on your mind that you're like, maybe I'm not good enough or maybe, you know, that's always, I think, as as anyone knows, it's always you're a bit debating in your head. Um, there's also been, you know, a couple of situations where you've been setting and it's like, um, a, a move's gotten changed even though you you couldn't do it or something like that um, and yeah and the, like this second part of the question to get more females involved was it yeah yeah like I, I think there's a really good movement happening in Australia at the moment with having 
more workshops available and more sessions about, you know, chatting with different women in the industry. And I, I think it's moving forward for us in Australia. I know earlier you mentioned that, uh, I guess to like move up, you would kind of, someone would be there to like, I guess, watch your sets or judge your sets. I forget the term you used. Assessment. Yeah, assessment. Yeah. So is that like a very stressful process, like having someone judge it while you're, while you're setting? Um, no, I think we're pretty cash, I think, in Australia. Um, so pretty well anyone that is getting assessed passes, I would say. That, yeah, I don't think we've failed many people um, because I think when we're selecting people too, we're selecting people who we think um, are good enough to be on the team. So they're generally going to pass. Okay, that's that's good to know. Um, next one, do you often get writer's block when setting and what's your process to find inspiration if it doesn't come naturally? Yeah, you definitely have days where you're kind of looking at the holds and you're thinking, I, yeah, I'm blank. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, but I think the best thing is to just put some holds on the wall, uh, move them around and, you know, talk to your team. That, you know, if you've got a few team members that are sitting with you, like on the same wall or whatever, you've got to ask the questions and you've got to have really good team dynamics to be able to ask and be like, hey, I'm a bit stuck on this move. Do you think I need to change the hold or put a volume on? Or I think we all learn by talking and being a team. Yeah, do you feel... Like when you get a new hold set, um, do you pref- do you kind of get into this thing where you only want to set with the newer holds? Because I, I kind of imagine it like putting together outfits with like different clothes. Like you get a new shirt or something, and all you can think about is like wearing, wearing that new <laughs> shirt. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like if you're out the back looking for some holds to put up next and you're like oh they're the new ones I want to set with them they're shiny they're bright um of course yeah but then um but then you're like oh but maybe I could set with these old classics because I know them and I know how they work and yeah so it it mixes up with what you want to do yeah um, next one as a setter and as a gym owner how often do you think gym routes boulder should be reset does it depend on the type or style or grade or the demographics of the gym users uh yeah i think it depends on how many people are coming through the gym and and how like dirty the holds are getting and there's there's a lot of factors um as the size of the gym so with Fillerwood, we're quite a large a large gym we have top rows we have lead we have boulder so getting around the whole gym um in terms of the top ropes and leads could take us six months but the boulders we could be getting we get around in like eight weeks um so it totally depends on the size of the gym and but i think you need to be consistently turning over those 
those problems and routes to keep people interested and keep them fresh and, and keep your setting team um, going as well, keeping them learning and, and trying new things as well. Are you like setting personally within your gym or are you more of just like a an overseer of the of what it should look yeah, like? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the team as well and guiding the, the team along. Um, we set twice a week. Um, there might be days where I don't set, but I'm still in there helping them test or uh, guiding them with, with what needs to go up or stuff like that. And then a couple of last questions from Anita, who is one of the um, people I just had on previously, um, uh, like an RP3 paraclimber. I think you know her, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was wondering, um, do you have anything to do with the isolation setting at all? Um, I guess at the World Champs or the World Cups. Um, and basically it would be great to have a rope added to the future competitions like they had in Bern if you set for future yeah. cups. Yeah, I know that's always been um, on and off kind of issue. It just, you know, totally depends what the venue has and um, we generally have to just fill the wall with whatever holds we have left um, and the there's always a discussion about getting a top rope up so the, the paraclimbers can warm up and um, and we always try and do the best that we can uh, and and chat with the organisers and the IFFC and it, it's their call to see what happens. Oh, so like in isolation, the holds that are put up, I guess, on a warm-up wall are just like whatever is left over from setting the comp? Yeah, yep. Or if it's a gym then there might be holds that we can use from the gym uh, to put up. And generally it's like uh, if it's like a, a World Cup that's like at an outside venue, then it's just going to be like a, a straight, you know, slightly overhanging wall that, you know, a lot of people have to try and get on to warm up. So it's a hard process. Yeah. Yeah, you generally want to take, like your own kind of fingerboard or something to warm up on as well. Yeah, because I didn't even think about it until last time when it was mentioned that at a typical isolation, there's only like a few, like six people or eight people. But then at paraclimbing, it's like tens of, yeah, a lot of people trying to warm up at yes, once. A couple of hundred people trying to warm up and um you know, the timetable is staggered, so there's not so many people at once, but it's still hard work trying to, trying to warm up. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then another question she had was uh, something you had mentioned earlier about um, qualifications and finals happening in one day at the IFSC World Cups. Um, I guess, could you, first of all, explain like the current process and then what it's changing to and then the pros of con the pros and cons of setting in one day versus yeah I, I haven't generally been too much involved with that the ifc has a committee that they discuss all this with so it's not really up to the red setter of course um but yeah the, 
this process before was all qualifications in one day and then finals. So now it's been split. So there'll be some classes on one day and then the next classes on the, another day. Um, generally, hopefully it's good for the setting. So it means that we can be tweaking those routes overnight. Um, it means we'll be working at night, but most of the time we are. Um, that we we can switch up some of the routes and make them a little bit fairer for the classes. Um, and, you know, we have four or five days to set these in advance so we know what we want to do overnight so it's not like we're trying to think of it that night. Um, I, I, I think generally it might be a good thing. It would be good to see it in action and give it a go and then go from there how, how it's going to look. Yeah, is that starting out at the first um, Para World Cup of this year? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I don't know the timetable or anything yet, but I, I would say it's, yeah, that's that's the new rule, so. Yeah, are you scheduled to set for any of those this year? We we haven't been given the schedule yet. Oh, right, yeah. But no, yeah. no setups have been selected for any events. It's coming up think. soon. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit like, oh, I kind of want to know where I'm going and plan plan the year but I, I guess um, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of events so trying to organize all that would be a pretty big job. That'd be pretty stressful though it's like coming up pretty fast. <laughs> For paraclimbing we've got a few months I think it's May so yeah first it's the first one first one's in Salt Lake so yeah yeah the Salt Lake one's always a fun event I've done that one once, and it was an, it was really fun. Yeah, I hope you get selected. That'll that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. And I might be at Salt Lake, so. Oh, cool! It's I mean yeah. it's a lot closer for me, but. Yeah, I'm hoping yeah. to make it out to a few World Cups this year. The the Salt Lake one's really good because there's Boulder and Speed and and the Para event as well, so you get to see a lot. Yeah, it's a big one. Okay. Um, I think that's all of the questions I had. Thank you for joining me. Um, that's okay. Thanks. Yeah. Anything else that you want to get out there? Shout out? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I think we covered a, a lot of stuff, and it was it was good to have a chat about. It was it was nice chatting. And do you want to let people know where they can find you or contact you if they have anything else? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, um, Carly Climbs. Um, you can, yeah, send me a message, ask away. Happy to have a chat anytime. Awesome. I'll leave the links in the description. But yeah, thanks again. It was amazing to have this talk. Yeah, no, thank you. It's, it was fun. Thank you so much for making it to the end of the podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you enjoyed. Otherwise, you are a super fake climber. If you're listening on a podcasting platform, I'd appreciate if you rate it five stars and you can continue the discussion on the free competition climbing discord linked in the description. Thanks again for listening.